Welcome to From Zero to Millions, Accounting Edition. I am Bilal Mihana. And I'm Kelly Roars. We're here to share our wealth of knowledge on running a public accounting firm. Whether you're a seasoned CPA, an aspiring accountant, or a business owner seeking financial guidance, join us for valuable insights and practical advice. Let's dive in. Welcome, everybody, to a new episode from Zero to Millions, a comment edition. Today, we have an entrepreneur through and through, Vinny Fisher. Vinny is a true entrepreneur. He started his journey from 2017 after practicing law for 10 years, and then he started his own accounting firm in 2014. But then he went to different ventures for the signs of accounting firm. And today we're going to talk about this journey until he started his accounting firm, why he started the accounting firm, and how he grew it to become one of the biggest firms in Ohio, virtual firms, I would assume, and being a part of the 5,000. Right. Oh, this is an incredible journey and success for you, Vinny. Vinny, I'll give it to you. Give us a brief history about the journey when you started your own ventures and then your accounting firm. Well, first off, Bilal, and I know Kelly's not here today, but just thank you to both of you. I love this industry. I love what y'all are doing to try to help firms and the professionals in those firms to embrace a modern view of how to really thrive at an advisory firm and in an accounting practice. And so thank you. I was honored when you thought that we could help in that mission. So delighted to be here. As you said, my name is Vinny Fisher. I'm the founder of a company called Fully Accountable. We provide that same type of service, fully outsourced CFO and accounting service. Been at it for, it'll be 10 years coming up in August of 24. And so you know that less than 5% of businesses make it to their 10th anniversary. And so What's interesting, though, in our space, those numbers probably aren't that impressive because accountants, they stick around. The tricky part isn't whether an accountant sticks around. The tricky part that I've noticed in the accounting space is this ability to grow beyond your shadow that you've cast in being the professional in your own organization. And so most of the firms that I run into, including what my business partner would have turned our organization into, Chris is an amazing CFO and I love him, but he would have been destined to build our firm into a disguised solo practice around his expertise. And I really fought against every element of that. And we set out over the last almost 10 years now to do the exact opposite. If an accounting firm does it a certain way, I set out not to do it that way. So I'm looking forward to having this conversation and see if we can inspire some people to maybe think a little differently. 100%. You came from law, so you practice on legal work. And so you came from a different perspective. You partnered up with Chris. Did you wait, co-founded the firm? Yep. Yep. He was the CFO of my health supplement company. We were doing about just a little under 50 million a year in revenue. And the story that we tell that's in our book and on our website, that's a real story. And we had razor thin margins and I was super frustrated. And I, I chucked the financials back at Chris and I just was so frustrated that we'd make all this money. We'd do $4 million a month in revenue and razor thin in cash at the end and super frustrated. And one day I'm like, I just want to know this. He's like, well, that's all you want to know? And he wanted me to somehow dive into the financials. That was the problem in the first place. And so the light bulb kicked on. I'm like, wait a minute. We're expecting the accounting industry to produce real-time results and give me more of a 
thermostat attitude instead of completely reconciling the books. The industry just didn't do it that way. The technology didn't exist. So I went to go try to buy it, Bilal, and it didn't exist. So I grabbed Chris and his one helper and said, we're doing this. And so we did it for ourselves first. And then a few friends in the health space were like, hey, I kind of like what you're doing. Things are different. And they were doing business with us and we could hand them really fancy reports and we could tell them almost immediately whether something was going to be profitable. And they're like, how are you doing this? And that's what birthed version one of Fully Accountable. So basically you followed in a way the Jeff Bezos style where he started with his own Amazon company and then he just ventured out with his AWR and different ventures within Amazon. Now he's a shipping company or just a company. Yeah, we needed to solve a problem. We just found out below that problem we were solving for ourselves was bigger than that. And other people had it. So today's version of Fully Accountable was built then. It is now for companies that do high transactions. And the problem was there was still an old mindset. It's pervasive in this accounting world still today that it's all about reconciliation. And, and if you're lucky, maybe you have a 45, 60 or 90 day view at your business. And that was a problem for someone running a business that needed the answers like from yesterday's numbers, not 45 days from now. And if the tech didn't exist then now, so there's almost no excuses today for a firm to be able to do this. But back then, we were pulling a lot of levers behind the scenes. And amazing that when we're now a CFO, fractional CFO is very popular service, provide mm -hmm. advisory and stuff. But you started this almost 10 years ago. When you started, I know it was a problem for you with your company. How did you figure out that it would be a painful opportunity for other entrepreneurs? And how did you package the service to them when you first started? How did you get clients in the beginning? I knew that if I had this problem and, and I had already multiple successful ventures and I kept generating a lot of revenue on the top and giving a lot of the revenue back at the bottom, that is and still today the epidemic of the entrepreneur. And I already knew that was a problem. I started mm -hmm. solving that problem. And so I knew there was a market for it. I just had to look in the mirror every morning. And so I started marketing to me. I just started marketing what I would need in the business. And I built those services. Jokingly, not only was I our first client, but everything we built, I was our first avatar. Even in my older life as a practicing lawyer, clients for accountants and lawyers, they didn't like being nickel and dime billed by the hour. And so real quickly, I'm like, wow, we could productize this. We could put packages out there so that we promote the phone ringing. And then early on, I did what I think everybody does. I tried to make the service as cheap as possible to the point where I could sell customers on price and quickly learn the mistake of that. And I started adding value to our pricing model and became a premium service, not the cheapest service in the market. And as a result of that, we went through a large client overhaul in the early days, but we also went up a category. So, you know, we decided to invest in tech and a premium service, but early on, it was all packages. It just had a cheaper price point to it. Interesting. When you first started early on with cheaper prices and then you moved to a bigger price, I'm sure you found better clients at the higher price, correct? Better expectations too. There were some really great clients we had in the beginning. And as somebody who always thinks ahead, I had like a five-year ahead version of Fully Accountable. So I was excited what we were going to be at the time, not what we were. And as we started to catch up to what we are versus what we thought we could be, we started to really notice that we offered a compelling service that even at the right client was still extremely cheap. So 
you know, our average client pays us around $4,500 a month for an all-in controller package service. Well, go out and try to hire a high-end controller with all the bells and whistles with your own data analyst team and all your software for someone less than $60,000 a year. It's just not going to happen. So we already had a compelling offer. You can't find that. And so it doesn't exist. And so we already knew we had a compelling offer with an amazing price. So an all-in CFO package with all the bells and whistles for 7,500 bucks, good luck, right? And so we quickly realized we had a premium service, but we also had a massive value in the way it was being priced. So then it really became about expectations. How do we really align ourselves to answer the phone? And the bigger problem for me was helping to get accountants to think about customer service, not delivery of reports. And that was my biggest battle, probably still my biggest battle to this day, but it was probably my biggest battle in the beginning of the business was to embrace clients want to talk to accountants. They don't just want to get reports from them. Yeah, I think that they're used to sending the reports, not receiving feedback. Did you meet with your clients on a weekly basis, monthly basis? Like with this type of package, was it monthly, weekly? You pay for more time, right? We have three packages that are the base packages. The middle one is our most popular and most utilized. But with that comes allotments of time. And so what we had to figure out, every firm goes through. When you're like just a billable hour person, pretty much as long as you're measuring even your own time, you know the general metrics. Then you try to be like one third profit. So that's the way you back into that math. That's good math still. And so what we had to do is figure out how do we measure the time spent on a client so that we could still maintain that kind of profit margin that would allow for us to acquire a good talent on our team. And so we had to measure that, how much time we could be, how much phone time. And that's the tricky part of packages because in billable hours, you're pretty much pushing most of that through. You might have a little bit of a realization rate problem. But we had to figure all that out and start to measure how many people per clients and how much time. I think one of the things that I look back on the industry in, in question is the bookkeeping space has really driven down, I consider, access to the professional. You can't even really email them and you can barely get in touch with somebody, but they give you automated reports. That's good, except for I think the client is lacking financial sophistication and they want access. And so I think they price themselves out of access. We believe we want our version of the arms race by access and then improve automation as we go. So one of the biggest difficult decisions for accounting firm owners is to raise prices. You are from cheap. What is cheap to you when you first started? What was like the average monthly? Like $1,000, $1,200. Okay. So for a lot of people now, what did that include? Did that include food, everything or only bookkeeping and payroll? Our cheapest client at the beginning was paying us like $750 a month. Our lowest client now pays us $2,500. So a base level package, which is mostly a bookkeeping package with not a lot of time with a professional, which basically runs that part of the accounting side of the practice is that base package. The controller package, which is all reconciliations, deep dive into financials, your data package, that's that next level up. And that's where most of our clients are there in CFO packages. I know from a lot of firms I talked to, the difficult part is raising prices, right? And you went from like $500,000, $700,000 a month to like two grand and plus a month. Initially, when you decided to move that direction, 
what was the thought process? Were you scared? Did you feel like well, there's a lot of rejection? Did you not care about the rejection? So I'm pretty seasoned business owners. My attitude on it versus our team would be different. So in fairness for everyone, I believe that high level services should increase their prices. As a matter of fact, we should probably increase our prices again because it's a direct correlation to higher quality clients. It always works that way. But I will tell you, my business partner, Chris, and other accountants have massive resistance to this issue for at least two, if not three reasons. One of them is they're the chief principal doing their work. And so they don't value and track their own time. They give it away. And so when they start to charge more for what they believe for the same price of what they're doing, they have a value proposition problem on their own time. Right? They were raised in an environment at a time and they believe some fundamental lies in business that all of that value should go back to the client and that there are only so much hourly room for them. It's actually one of the reasons you're trapped in business. So that's problem one. Problem two is that businesses historically have not shown value towards accounting. It's been this thing you need, not this thing you want. And since that's true, I think it's still true. I think the tone and attitude from the buyer of that service has treated it like low value. And as a result, the people providing that service in kind have acted the exact same way, They've given it a low value proposition. And so those two things are the pervasive issue why people don't raise prices. And then the third thing is I think people are afraid to price resist or find out where there's room for growth because they're afraid of losing clients. I can't tell you how many times Chris has said to me, well, at least they're paying something. And I'm like, I would rather them not pay us at all. So we have room to take on a client or more who want to pay us correctly. And so this fear of losing a client, especially when you do so much of your own work, you know, there's this really love-hate relationship that a CPA or an accountant has to work. He or she loves bringing in the revenue, but then they don't love it because that means they're working on it more. And so the more you're in the system, your relationship to taking on new work is really confused because it's going to run up against going to soccer practice. It's going to run up against all these other things. And so working yourself out of the rotation is a big deal to address these issues. I agree. I agree. A lot of it starts with pricing in the beginning, because if you price wrong and you price cheap, now you get a lot of clients in the door. And now you're scared to raise prices because they might leave. Now you're at a level where your your lifestyle is like fixed this way. And if they leave, now you have less revenue, less income probably. But I think it starts with confidence. I think a lot of accountants don't have confidence in the value they provide. Don't get me wrong. I think in the beginning, like anything, you split test. I'm a marketer first. So I just happen to take all my marketing and sales skills and build an accounting firm. Don't get me wrong. I think in the beginning, as you build up the quality of your service, you're going to struggle on the lower end of the price continuum. It's a very fair beginning part. You're investing in building your service. The problem is most people don't break out of that and don't grow up with it. I do think that your value, your deliverable of the service should come first. And because that's the value proposition, then the market should correctly respond to your price increase because the value is there. I have a couple of questions for you. How long it took you to reach a million dollars in revenue? Less than a year. Wow. Amazing. That's crazy. And from there, how long did it took you 
to get out from that day-to-day operations as a co-founder? Well, I think there's a few fair answers I should give you. We got that million bucks and then we took a little step backwards because million dollars is a big deal. Less than 7% of all operating companies in America do a million dollars in annualized revenue. In general? In general. Four out of five companies are service companies. So when you look at that, you have less than 7% of businesses. Service companies, of course, don't scale like product companies. So less than 7% of service businesses do over a million dollars in revenue. The first plateau is that million bucks. Now I'll tell you, that million to three is tricky. Getting to a million is your first thing because in order to get there, it's got to involve more than you because you can have an amazing job getting paid really well with a couple staff people in your own self, high six figures, and you'll do really well. You're just going to have a high paying job. Probably not much of a firm to sell because it's you because you're going to trap yourself into work, but you have a wonderful lifestyle. But to build something bigger than you, to get above that million bucks, you have to start taking some risks. So in that million to three million, you know, we're generating revenue, but our margins started to slip significantly because we had to buy staff. We had to buy resources. We had to overhaul technology. We had to invest in the firm. And this is where most people stop. As soon as it hits the lifestyle they used to have when they were doing 750,000 or 600,000, they don't have a bigger vision to the risk associated with growing something bigger. And two things, they're always selling themselves as the expert. So people expect them to do the work. And then you can only get so many people doing the work disguised as you. And then you're not spreading out and you're not multiplying among your people. And so those two things are one of the epidemics of the service industry in whole, especially in accounting. And almost all firms that even make it above a million bucks never make it above three. It's virtually less than 1% of firms in the world see $5 million in revenue. Yes, it's difficult. It's not easy. It's really hard to do. You got to have a value proposition, but you have to have a decision to build a business. It's not run a firm. It's the business principles of operating a, a company kick way in. Like the culture, the awards I'm the most proud of are our culture awards. You can't buy your way into those. They're all survey driven by the companies. We've won four out of five years, Inc.'s Best Places to Work Award. Now, that's a stupid hard award to win. And when you asked that second question earlier, like, how did I get out of the day-to-day? I believe in multiplication. I believe specifically in leadership multiplication. I took our best and brightest and invested in them. I believe leaders need principles, not projects. And I believe that they needed room to grow. And so I did all of those things inside of an accounting firm and gave people authority and opportunity. What does invest in your people mean? Give me an example. So if you went, started moving from the day-to-day operation, and you invested in somebody, like I feel like theory is the person who will lead on. What is the steps to take to invest in that person? And what other type of investment do you invest in that person? Yeah, so I can name so many positions in our company, but I'll pick on a real one right now. Just in August of 23, I stepped down as the CEO of the company and I'm no longer our CEO. I'm founder. And people are like, oh my gosh, are you doing something else, Vinny? Are you dying? Do you have cancer? What's up? And everyone needs there to be something else. The simplest answer is actually the real one. I looked at our organization. And I see our bright executive team with room to grow. 
Well, our one, Rachel, who's now our CEO, had room to grow. And in order for her to grow within our team, the next natural growth spot for her was the CEO of our company. And the only way that was going to happen was because I have an attitude and a mindset of multiplication. When you look across our executive team, everyone's grown up in a role. And I believe in building up leadership. And so that's what we did. And guess what? We're on another ridiculous growth curve. And I stepped away. Now, in the short term, could things be better if I was in charge of those things? Sure, because I have more wisdom. I've got more at-bats. But in the longer perspective, I'm already seeing other people step up. Travis, our chief of technology, has stepped into our data department because he said to me the other day, wow, Vinny, with you stepping back, Rachel really needs us in these spots. Now, the funny thing is we needed him in those spots before, but because I've modeled leadership multiplication, people are stepping up. And this is a really hard thing to do, especially when you're really good at what you do, which is why accountants have a hard time stepping away or building in depth. And when you ask, how do I get day to day? Everyone wants me to be an overnight success. That happened years ago. We've just been building into it. When you first started, when you were first working, your co-founder was the CFO. You were more on the business entrepreneurial side. Did you personally meet with clients and talk to them about business? Never. I take that back. That's a fair question. So in the beginning, my Rolodex mattered a lot to us. I have a pretty big name in our space and I'd speak on stages. We get a lot of leads and I'd show up at a mastermind or an event and you know, I'd be one of the keynote speakers. We get a lot of leads. It was great. So people did feel this need to speak to me. And then arrogance in there, I thought I was our best salesman. So I would get on the phone, sell a little, and in there would be a disguised like business call where we talk about their business a little bit. So there was a lot of that going on. I remember specifically a big shot in our space, a guy named Justin Brooke got onto a call with me, a sales call. And I then pushed him over to somebody on our team. And he called me and said, Vinny, I want to give you a bit of advice. Get off the sales calls. And I'm like, okay. He goes, once I talk to your team, I got a much better vision of your company. You try to sell me on too much. You would try to like pack in all the business stuff. And it's great. Everything you said was wonderful, but it got off the point. Literally that day, I stopped doing sales calls. What was your operation? What did you do as an owner there, co-founder? At that point, I did and do two things. I am a brand ambassador. I speak about this industry. I love what the elements of the back office are. So I'm always speaking about how to improve. It's really about what you keep, not what you make at the top. So I'm always speaking about that, always like doing things like this to give back, to encourage people that they can do it too. So I've been doing that. I will continue to do that. The other thing I do is our people. I do like kind of an upside down pyramid. The leadership of our team, I get all my time. So CFO, CEO, all my time. They get all of it because they're the ones who need to learn more. They need experience in wisdom and leadership. And so I got to walk alongside them as the guide to kind of nudge, prod, ask questions, help them. And so they get all my time, all of it. And so over time, I do more of that. You know, I got really sick a few years ago, double lung claps during all that awful stuff that was going on in society. I was away from the business, didn't touch a thing for 60 days and the business only got better. Wow, that's amazing. So your uniqueness is that you have an accountant, but you come from a different background marketing, sales, law. And so with accountants, basically they have their own way of building a business, which is not the best way usually, right? You brought this different viewpoint, this perfect perspective, and you help with your co-partner build this firm the way it is. 
Yep. How can accountants shift their mindset differently to think similar to you, what you're thinking? I want to be really respectful because had I handed the reins to Chris, we'd be struggling with the advice I'm going to give you right now. I'm going to look right in the camera. Everyone who's listening, mm -hmm. if all you do is hear me, lean in because this is it. I know you are an amazing professional at accounting. You probably get all kinds of accolades when you're at first watch for breakfast. And I want to introduce my guy to this guy and my gal. She's the tax this. She's the guru of this. And all that's true. And you're probably drinking some of your own Kool-Aid and reading your own press. All of that is real. I get it. Mm -hmm. The hardest habit to break if you want something bigger than you is to break beyond being one of the service providers to building a world-class service. Super hard to do. And honestly, Bilal, most people can't do it. They're better off bringing in some outsiders to help them break through it or put in some structure, making investments and to have others do it because they don't really want to build an operation that's bigger than them. They just want to practice accountancy. If that's you, then don't live broken in both of those worlds. But if you want to break out of that, you have to find the places where you trap yourself. And for most people, it's doing the work first and then they sell it. And if you're the salesperson, then be careful about selling yourself or things that sound like you're the magician. Because once the client then gets into onboarding and in the maintenance work and they don't get you, they're going to be offended because you sold yourself as the expert. So watch your language because out of the mouth flows the heart. And if you speak of yourself as the hero, the client's going to expect that. If you speak of your team as the hero, they're more dynamic than you and they're more dedicated. We have hundreds of clients. Chris maybe has two or three. What I did was we set out, Rachel and I had our own little private retreat. And we're like, all right, what can we do to not have this thing built around Chris? And everything that was like Chris built around issues, we worked at not letting that happen. And so I would say, accountant, if you have a team, you need to get people around you who push against traditional, conventional accounting thinking or embrace the fact that's all you are. Living in the middle of that sounds like, to me, like misery. Yes, I agree. So do you recommend coaching for accountants that are trying to build their firm from a non-accountant person? I recommend coaching for everyone in every phase of their life. So if your marriage is struggling, go find someone who can help coach the, between the dynamic of it. If you're having a leadership deficit because you set out to be a professional, but you don't know how to build and lead an organization, go get coaching. Everyone who needs to level up is actually short on wisdom. They're short on execution of that wisdom because left to our own devices, we're going to fall back into our mm -hmm. own habits because it's worked just enough that we believe it's the right way to do it. So we're just going to fall back into it. Everyone needs coaching. So if you and your team offer that, then I'm telling everyone who's listening, sign up for it. Honestly, John Maxwell teaches a principle, the law of the lead. You're only going to go as far in your organization as you can go. And you need to break through the law of the lead and coaching is an amazing way to do that. I hired a coach last year, but I always was looking for a coach that had built a firm that had that kind of background. But talking to you right now, it changed my perspective. I don't need a coach that is a accountant background or build a firm before because you build a firm from a different perspective and you build it like a company, not like a common firm because a common firm is usually have a partners. Yeah. They're all origination of their clients, they're billing hours, there's this fight over expertise. And then because of that, you have an expertise drain and people leave and we bill in packages all up front. So we don't even have any breakage in receivables. Like everything that an accounting firm doesn't do well, we don't do it all. 
Exactly. Now my view has shifted. Okay, I need to find a good coach that build a good company, not a specific accounting firm, because I can learn a lot. I would say a service firm, right? In fairness, I think the more I've like dove into coaching and consulting and looking at it and hiring it myself, we use different terms for what we mean there, but we're looking for outside advice, right? Of someone who's done it. If I'm looking for mindset, I probably want to go with some kind of high performance coach, right? If I'm looking for building business principles, I want to be coached by someone who has a track record, who's done it. And so service industries are the same. The language is different. I can't tell you, Bilal, how many accountants have kind of like turned their nose up at me because I'm not an accountant building an accounting firm. Well, I have an eight-figure enterprise and there's less than one half of the planet has a business that looks like mine in this space. So something had to work there. And it's not just my good looks or a good offer. Like building out an operation is really not a principle in accountancy. It's a principle of operation. And so we embraced a principle to go out and build a business. It's hard. It took time. I can tell you this, service companies to build to growth and now scale, it is way easier for me to go build a product business than it was a service company. But I'll tell you this, lots of people want to buy our company. It's worth a bunch. We get phone calls all the time. We're asked to be involved in things. And here they are approaching our 10th anniversary and people are like, oh my gosh, you're amazing. You came out of nowhere. I'm like, yep, we're a 10-year overnight success. Yeah, that took a minute. So my question would be for the, for the current entrepreneur that owns a accounting firm or for the new person that wants to open a accounting firm because a lot of people are leaving their public accounting firm and they want to open this new firm. And most people that open new firms are more modern firms. They're not old school ways. What is your top three tips for them? Oh, you know what? What a great time. I think if I had opened Fully Accountable now, I know we changed an industry because there was no modern in 2014. The tech didn't exist. You couldn't log into a bank. You couldn't get the downloads. Now you can connect that with Plaid. Like today, there's such low barrier to entry to technology. Like you could have a handful of fractional CFO clients and probably making a better living than working at a firm. By the way, the number one problem everybody has is this idea of getting clients. Everyone's afraid of it. Good accountants are not afraid of doing the work. They're afraid of this idea of getting clients. So my number one tip is, if you're going to break out, get to the tightest niche you can possibly get and speak the voice of that niche. So when we were early on, we only did e-commerce and consumer packaged goods. It gave us a brand. It gave us a name. We then added tech and software. And then we had another high transactions like health companies and you know gurus and like membership spaces. And we expanded. But today, it's so noisy with tech being so accessible you got to stand for a niche. And so I remember a guy, I gave some advice to recently down in the Louisiana area. He was an accountant and most of his clients were in plumbing. He's like, well, how would you grow this business? I'm like, you know what I would do? I'd probably go to the Plumbers Association and be the keynote speaker of how to build the back of the business. He's like, you would? I'm like, yeah, I'd be the foremost expert of back office for plumbing. And I'd go and get in their association. Well, I can tell you he did it and he's crushing it. I got another wow. buddy of mine who did it in dentistry. So my first tip is to niche it down. That's number one tip. Two, embrace some technology. You know, use tech and global workforce so you can keep margin real tight or in a great way, keep margin in your organization. And then 
The third thing is if you want something that's bigger than you, you need to work other people into the rotation and not make it all about you. That starts with how you name it. Don't name it after yourself. Because if you do, you're more likely to build it around you. John Maxwell is a mentor and he's becoming a friend and I'm so thankful, but even he's got a gigantic organization named after himself. It's going to be a problem. When he leaves, basically. He's going to leave one way or the other. The debt that all men pay, right? Yeah. Man, this has been a great episode. Honestly, I think one of the best episodes we ever had. Thank you, Vinny. I have one more thing. So we come on these kind of shows to help people do exactly what we do because we want to model it. And I don't really want you to have to pay for it. So we set up a gift page. It's our podcast gift page. It's fullyaccountable.com forward slash. You can go to gift if you can't remember it, but we branded one just to you guys. And so zero to millions. And so you can go there. And what you're going to find is I want one thing from you. I need your email because I need somewhere to send you this stuff. But you're going to get automatic downloads, all the stuff to go build your modern firm. The only thing you got to do is go do it. And then work with services like Bilal and other places that want to help you do it. Here's the thing. I have hundreds of clients and there's millions still to serve. We're barely a drop in this bucket. It's not about who we compete with. It's about helping more people. So take advantage of those things. We really want you to have them. I'll send you my email and I'll post it on LinkedIn and Facebook so people can follow the link. And our team will do all the wonderful things and all the stuff that we do on that. But I'll keep fighting this good fight, man. Accounting firms, we're poised more now than ever to take advantage of this. So there's a lot of movement in the marketplace. Most people will cycle back out because they don't want to invest in building something. But for the people who really do want to take the risk and put the fight in and build something special, all the tools are here today to do it. Oh, 100%. 100%. This has been a great episode. Thank you, Vinny, for your time. And hopefully people will follow the page, click on the link, and see all the available information that you provided to them. Yeah, pass along a hello to Kelly for me as well. And also, one more thing. Also, you have a couple of books out currently for entrepreneurs in general. What are they? Yeah, so you'll get it, by the way, in that free stuff. We gave you a digital versions of them. It's called The CEO's Mindset. The other one's False Profits, which is the whole story behind how we built Fully Accountable. And then the original book I wrote was called The Best Investment of Better You. And I'm actually currently writing a new one called Beyond Your Shadow, How Multiplication Equals Legacy. I eat my own dog food, blah, I believe in all this stuff. And so The CEO's Mindset will give you the roadmap to building a service organization not just a sole proprietor. Amazing, man. No, for sure. For a person who build multiple entities, multiple companies, seven figure, eight figures, that's amazing. For sure. Everybody look up Vinny's name on Amazon and grab his books. Or take a free link and get the free copy. And if you write us a little message, one of my people on my marketing team will even send you physical versions. You don't even have to go buy it because I'm certainly not getting rich off my royalties on my books, but we want people to have them. For sure. All right, guys. See you next episode. See you, ball. Bye-bye. If you've been loving the energy and insights we bring to each episode, we'd love to hear from you. Head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating and written review to let us know what your favorite part of the show is. Your feedback helps us reach more professionals who could benefit from the show and create more episodes you love. We can't wait to hear your thoughts.